Good morning. My name is Hannah Marriott, and I'm the Next Gen Pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Today is March 15, 2020, and I was asked to preach the message today while Pastor Michael and his family are on vacation. If you're one of Emmanuel's regular Sunday church attenders, this is perhaps a difficult Sunday for you. To comply with the government's recommendation in light of COVID-19, also known as coronavirus, we have canceled our church service this Sunday morning. But thank you for still tuning into the teaching podcast. If you watched Pastor Michael's Facebook video explaining Emmanuel's decision to cancel the church service today, then you would have heard him say that what we do on Sundays is not who we are as the church. Meeting together is very important, but it's not all that we are as believers. We're no less the church simply because we cannot meet together at this time. Interesting that as some of us are contemplating what it means to be the church on this morning when we cannot gather together in the same way we have been accustomed to, we are looking today at the passage of scripture when the word church is first used in New Testament scriptures. If you're following along in your Bibles from home this morning, we're going to be looking primarily at Matthew 16 verses 13 to 20 and making reference to some other passages throughout the teaching time. This is part four in our series about Simon Peter, the imperfect disciple. And today's message is called Peter Confessing. When I think of the word confessing, my mind automatically thinks of someone divulging a secret, like Batman revealing to Commissioner James Gordon that he's Bruce Wayne. In the DC comic world, that's a big moment. Sort of a side note, I guess you can expect to see a new Batman movie released released in the theaters in June of 2021. And they're going to cast a new actor as Batman. So any teens who may have tuned in would know this name, maybe, of Robert Pattinson. He's an actor, otherwise known as Edward from Twilight. But there's been a lot of Batman uh, people who've played Batman over, over the decades. And uh, Pattinson is going to be the ninth actor to have that role on the big screen. I don't know who your favorite actor is who has played Batman, but there's about three of them that I can't really decide between. But it's the same with many superhero movies. To the audience, it is so obvious who the hero is. Watching it, we know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But to the people he interacts with, they can't tell Bruce is the guy in the mask and cape. It's actually a little irritating to be the audience at times and you think, how can you not get this? It's so obvious. But this can be uh, the similar situation for us as modern day readers of the Bible. We're like the movie theater audience who knows Bruce is Batman. And for those who have read the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah. We have learned his identity. These last number of weeks, we've been looking at the life of Peter and the interactions of Jesus with the disciples, and we're following along in their story from the time that they met Jesus, and they have not yet come to realize that Jesus is the Son of God, at least not until today. So up until now, we've been observing the disciples almost get it over and over. They almost catch on. They almost realize who Jesus really is. And today will be that pivotal moment when it's as though the mask and the cape come off and they really finally see Jesus. 
which means that they will also soon understand that as the superhero of this movie, he is the only one capable of saving the world from imminent danger, and he will risk his own life to save everyone else's. It's that pivotal moment, right before they realize the personal sacrifice he will make. What we're looking at today is a conversation between Jesus and the disciples, and is recorded in, in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as you may have noticed from reading the Bible, each of these books cover many of the same events, miracles and teachings of Jesus, but in their own uh, style that's kind of unique to the author. So these three books, <clears throat> sorry, of these three books, Mark is noticeably more brief. He sticks to giving minimal details, just enough to get his point across. And he always seems to be in a rush, often beginning sentences with, immediately they went here. He leaves out some of the events which are recorded by Matthew and Luke, uh, or other times he may record the event but not the teaching of Jesus that immediately follows. But because of this unique style, it's when reading the book of Mark that we can more clearly see this build-up to the pivotal conversation that we're talking about today, and then the home stretch leading us to Jesus' sacrifice. This moment in the text is also obvious um, to us in other ways. Uh, when we talk about the book of Mark, we're talking about the first eight chapters that are Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and then Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, which is the setting of today's passage, and then after that he makes his way up to Jerusalem, which will be uh, around that area, the location of his death and resurrection. So Mark distinguishes even geographically the uh, significance of today's passage. And although I've mentioned uh, Mark's account of this event, I'm actually going to read from Matthew what the conversation is between Jesus and the disciples. So reading from the New Revised Standard Version, starting at Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? First, let's think about the setting just for a moment. Jesus is in the middle of what is often called his withdrawal. Since the beginning of Matthew 14, Jesus has been seeking a quiet place where he could teach his disciples. They traveled all around the Sea of Galilee and even up into the Gentile region, but everywhere they went, Jesus was moved by compassion and healed multitudes of the sick and diseased and lame. And not that those moments weren't teaching moments, but he was really looking for a place uh, of quiet withdrawal with them to have uh, this very important conversation. So now we find that Jesus and the disciples are in the district of Caesarea Philippi, and from Mark chapter 8, verse 27, we know that they were just passing through some of the villages on the outskirts of the city. But here, after the disciples saw firsthand his miracles and heard his teachings, he separated himself with the disciples for this moment. And where he asked them these two questions, the disciples give a variety of answers to his first question, where Jesus asks, who do people say I am? And the disciples let Jesus know what some people are saying, who they believe Jesus is. And they say John the Baptist may be raised from the dead. And you may remember that it, that was the opinion of Herod Antipas in Matthew 14. And that idea had come from his advisors. And Jesus's 
uh, miraculous work shows that he is someone special. And so maybe John the Baptist was the most recent someone special that they could think of. And they thought, well, you know, it's been mentioned that John the Baptist may be raised from the dead. So, you know, that was a, a thought. Um, and then some other people thought maybe he was Elijah, the prophet returned as the forerunner of the Messiah. Malachi 4, 5 alludes to Elijah returning in such a role, but Jesus had already said that John the Baptist had done that. Now, interestingly, uh, even though this conversation is recorded in these three books of the Bible, it is just in the Matthew account that it mentions some people thinking Jesus may be Jeremiah. And Matthew is known for making many more references to Jeremiah than the other Gospels, so making quotes um, from him from the Old Testament and so on. But Jesus' second question takes this conversation from being external, when he says, um, who do people say I am, to now really being an internal reflection for the, dis um, for the disciples, when he says, who do you say that I am? And I kind of wonder, pause for a second, I wonder what the mood was around these men during the brief moments between these two questions between the question of who do people say I am and who do you say I am. I imagine the disciples were trying to maybe read the reaction on Jesus's face as they gave the answers to that first question. You know, it, uh, maybe some people think John the Baptist. Pause, wait for Jesus's reaction. Maybe some people say Elijah. Pause, wait for Jesus's reaction. Are they trying to determine uh, maybe if these responses are flattering um, or absolutely incorrect or maybe right on the nose? And I don't believe that Jesus was upset by their answers at all. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, great men, absolutely. Who wouldn't want to be mistaken for them? I also don't believe that Jesus was upset by the disciples' answers because Jesus had demonstrated such great patience with these men up until now. So he'll be patient now too. Jesus was patient during the many accounts of them misunderstanding or being confused by his teachings or their lack of faith. And now, as they seem to not yet recognize him for who he really is, even though they were first-hand witnesses to these miraculous events up until now. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, who we've been referring to as the imperfect disciple, uh, gives the perfect answer at this moment. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Why is this moment known as the pivotal moment when this disciple finally gets it? Have they really seen Jesus for who he is with the mask and cape removed? This is the moment known as Peter's confession. Peter is confessing to know Jesus's true identity. But there are other confessions of faith uh, recorded earlier in the Gospels prior to this one. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 49, Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and you are the King of Israel. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, it says, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. John chapter 6, verse 69 says, We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. These moments of confession occur as the disciples observe or are even the subject of one of Jesus' miracles. It's sort of a superhero moment. 
something amazing has just occurred, and the reaction is, oh, Jesus, you're my superhero, what a savior. Those are the types of confessions that occurred earlier in the Gospels. But now here, what we're talking about today in Matthew 16 at this pivotal moment, away from the crowds, not amidst a miraculous healing, Jesus led the disciples to a distant place off the beaten path. And different from the unsolicited confessions earlier, Jesus directly asks who they think he is. And it's our imperfect disciple who is willing to take the risk. Risk being wrong, risk being vulnerable, but it's worth the risk. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Maybe we also react this way. When we see firsthand Jesus' amazing, miraculous superhero actions, we think, yeah, this is the Messiah, the son of the living God, man, my superhero. Are we still able to confess Jesus as Messiah in the still quiet moments without a big public display of divine power? To be vulnerable, knowing we are imperfect disciples? who sometimes lack the faith to see Jesus' true identity? At these times, can we confess that he is the son of the living God, as Simon Peter does here? Again, I wonder what tension there may have been following Peter's confession, waiting to see how Jesus would respond. There are so many interesting nuggets of information I could share about the words Jesus responds with, about the following four verses, In fact, the next four verses are some of the most controversial in the New Testament. And I do encourage you, for your own uh, lifelong learning, and to do a little research and reading on this passage, um, just for your own interest and knowledge, because it is extremely interesting stuff. Matthew 16, verses 17 to 20, are the four verses I'm referring to, and it says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So of all of the things that we could pick apart from those four verses, let's talk once more about the setting where this conversation is taking place. On this rock. What rock? Peter, the new name that Jesus gave to Simon, means rock in Greek. Is this the rock Jesus is saying he will build his church upon? I don't think so. Um, This rock was a significant place, as were the gates of hell or Hades, and Pastor Michael was at the exact place last summer where he traveled to and toured the Holy Lands. And he and I sat to talk about this passage of scripture, and he shared with me the experience of being there at this place. And uh, I want to actually share his exact words um, and the significance of the place. Uh, I was going to put it into my own words, but um, I don't want to miss the meaning here, and it's so important. So I'm actually just going to read his exact words. The gates of hell is the name given to a large cave in the side of a cliff in Caesarea Philippi. 
In the first century, this cave had a huge spring emerging from it, one of the three gushing springs that forms the Jordan River. And today, the spring emerges from a different area nearby, and that cave is dried up. Next to the cave, built into the side of the cliff, was a large temple to the pagan god Pan. The modern name for this area is Banias, but originally Penais for Pan. The cave with the spring was called the Gates of Hell, or Hades, because the pagan worshippers speculated that the spring emerged from the underworld, and this was an, on, an opening unto it, into it. Um, it was normal practice to throw live animals, uh, and sometimes even human children, into the cave to feed and appease the gods of the underworld. If the animal or child came back out of the cave, they assumed their offering was rejected. And if the animal or child didn't re-emerge, they assumed the gods had accepted the offering. It was in this place, a crossroads of paganism, a center for idolatry and wickedness, that Jesus took his disciples. Well out of the way, of the beat, off the beaten path, when he declared that he is going to build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was standing within view of the temple to Pan and the pagan site known as the gates of hell. What Jesus seems to be saying to his followers is this. The paganism and wickedness of these false expressions of religion are not going to withstand the growth and spread and resilience of my church. This temple will crumble. This cave will dry up, but my church, my kingdom, will last forever. And sure enough, if you stand in Caesarea Philippi today, the temple is gone and the gates of hell are a dry tourist attraction that draws Christians from every corner of the globe. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and nothing will outlast or surpass his power and glory. The gates of hell, whether a physical cave or the spiritual forces of darkness, or the wickedness of the world, will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building. So let me leave uh, you with these few thoughts in summary from what we've covered just now in these moments. This passage was a pivotal moment when Simon Peter, during a time of quiet teaching with Jesus, recognized him for who he really was, the Son of the living God. Simon Peter, the imperfect disciple, sometimes confused Jesus' teachings and lacked faith, um, but he was the first disciple to confess Jesus' true identity. And Jesus takes us as we are, with our imperfections and doubts, and he entrusts us to join him in building his church. So will you confess Jesus as the Son of the living God today, in the moments where his power is so blatantly clear? and in the times of quiet withdrawal. Will you take your place as a disciple of Jesus in a world filled with the false expressions of religion and be a member of his special assembly of believers, the church? I hope you keep to reflect, keep reflecting on these questions. Uh, and I do thank you for listening in with us today on this teaching podcast for Emmanuel. You can find us on Facebook for a live stream of next Sunday's worship service.
God bless.